welcome to the podcast of the Talberg Foundation. My name is Martin Kutz. I'm a board member of the Foundation. In this podcast, we present a selection of recordings from one of our events. This episode features the panel discussion on the future of democracy in Nairobi, Kenya. The session was inspired by the debate on the state of democracy and particularly liberal democracy as we know it in the global north. The panel sought to explore the relevance of this discussion for the Kenyan context. Additionally, the question was posed about how we can make democracy work better for women. These topics were discussed with Ulrika Carlson, advisor to the Interparliamentary Union, Kenneth Lusaka, Speaker of the Senate of Kenya, and David Sperling, founder of and professor at Strathmore University. The session was moderated by me and was recorded on the 13th of November, 2019. Speaker, um, does democracy have a future? It's a question that is certainly relevant in Western democracies, in Western Europe, in North America. Can you share with us your thoughts of how pertinent this question is for the Kenyan context? Thank you very much. Uh, like you have been told, my name is Kenneth Lusaka, Speaker of the Senate of the Republic of Kenya. That means I'm a product of a democratic process. Um, Democracy has a future, but we need to do certain things to make it work. Um, the challenges that we are having and looking at uh, Kenya, we have had independence since 1963, and we have been having elections, the election cycle after every five years. But I'm looking, the question that I want to address is, uh, is it enough just to have elections? Because that's one of the cardinal aspects of democracy, that people are given an opportunity in fact, somebody defined it as a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. But does that really happen in a population of, say, 47 millions? Because somebody will argue, why would I go to line up to vote in the morning when my vote doesn't really count? Because at the end of the day, you vote, but what sometimes is announced as the results is, does not reflect what really took place in the field as the voting was taking place. So when we're looking at us, because I'm happy we have... Uh, Members of parliament here, we have, uh, we have senators here, okay, members of parliament, both National Assembly and the, 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 the Senate. Are we representing the interests of the people who elected for us? Because when you run around asking for votes, we promise heaven and don't even deliver hell. So we, we, we really uh, must re-examine ourselves. Let's carry out an audit. Yes, the, the ideals were there, they were very good, it was meant to represent the people, but are we doing it? Uh, that is the question. It has a future, but we need to work on a few cardinal things that really uh, make democracy uh, stand as, as a good system of governance. Thank you. One of the uh, part of this discussion is that um, there is an expectation that a lot of democracies will evolve into liberal democracies as we know them in the West. They are, if you look at all the indexes, they are the norm, they are the full democracies, they are the functioning democracies. But what does that, what will Kenya follow that path? And if not, what will Kenyan democracy look like in the next, in 10 years time or 15 years time? First, we must um, make it very transparent. We attempted a transparent election in 1988 uh, <laughs> in this country. And it was transparent. This man, if it was managed well, I think it was a very good practice. People were lining up behind the candidate they wanted. 
So if I was running for a, a parliamentary seat or a presidential seat, then I'll have all those who are supporting me line up behind me, and where I was not present, my, my portrait would be there. Unfortunately, the shortest lines ended up being the longest, and the longest lines disappeared in some places where uh, you know, the shortest line was declared the winner. Then again, the whole thing was messed up, and then we got rid of it. So we need to be very transparent and truthful to our people if we have to, to maintain the, the ideals for which democracy, I believe, was, uh, was, was founded. Ulrika, mm -hmm. um, I want to read you a quote, mm -hmm. which is about political parties and democracy. Disillusionment with traditional political parties and their ability to address clear weaknesses in the practice of democracy has set through more broadly into support for democratic values and into confidence in democracy itself. How are we going to make political parties part of the solution again? <laughs> Okay, that's a one million dollar question, I think, because uh, everyone is struggling with that. We want transparency in the election. But in a way, I believe in the liberal democracy. Uh, democracy for me is not just going to election. Democracy is also about the freedom of speech, to have someone oversight the elected ones, so that they're doing the right things. So we don't have corruption, in a way. And democracy is also representation. And do we have representation when most of the population is left out of the decision-making board? We only have 24% women parliamentarians in the world. That's not good enough. I'm going to put you on the spot, um, followed up with the role of women in society. And I understand it from a perspective of representation, that we'll have a more equal representation. But how are having more women involved in political parties how is that going to lead to better decision-making uh, and, and stronger involvement? Yeah, there are women that are as bad as some men, I would say. There are women that's lazy as some of my former colleagues, but there are good ones as well. But it's about representation, I would say. And I think in an environment, I think it's better. You will have better decision if you have both gender represented. I would say, but it's not, it's not uh, a guarantee. It's an important aspect of restoring faith, that is, uh, it's, but it's not the only mm. issue, I think. That's the, uh, that would be my conclusion. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Okay. David, yeah. moving to you. Um, as an academic, you've been very interested in the, um, uh, in the constitutional reform that took place here in 2010. Has that worked, and how is it serving Kenyan democracy? If we look at democracy as something contextual, relevant to the cultural, social, economic components of any given society, what we will find is that the institutions that are strongest, and I think this is what's happening in Kenya and in the rest of Africa, the institutions that are strongest are those that are devised by the people themselves for their own circumstances. The parliament that we inherited in our first constitution was an alien system. One of the great, what can we say, not just contradictions, but uh, negative consequences of the colonial period was that for two full generations, Africans did not govern themselves. And then suddenly, independence comes to countries that are not our own creation, but rather they're countries whose borders were created in Europe. 
You see, the process of reform can be a process through amendments and revisions, but then ultimately you reach a point where you say, this constitution is not working. That doesn't mean democracy is not working. What it means is that the institutions that have been created for a particular democracy in a country are no longer satisfactory. They need to be adapted and adopted to changing circumstances, whether it's demography, whether it's social values, whether it's cultural values. So we did go through the process here in Kenya very successfully. Came up with a new constitution in 2010, uh, many, many years past. But that new constitution has devolved functions down to the village level. You have some extraordinary, this is depending now on the counties, the counties have 14, uh, these are subnational governments elected by the people of the counties. This is important, we can even argue that there's, a, there's an almost a social basis that we can feel as, as human persons. We need to participate in the very framework and decisions regarding our personal existence as a community or as an individual. Now, those principles, I think, are everlasting and they, we have inherited them here in Africa from the West. Now, how do you contextualize and create institutions that are more appropriate for your own circumstances? Thank you. Um, I would like to move to the room because I'm sure other people have different worries and different opinions, whether or not about their own country. I will walk with the mic if uh, you have a question. You see, such a huge gender imbalance just there on the stage, and that's still the idea of our democracy here. There's only men everywhere. In <laughs> you know, so what is democracy? Does it really exist? Or is democracy only a democracy for the men? I counted the number of women on the previous panel, and there was a majority of women, so we're definitely trying to hear the dress up in balance. <laughs> and there is one of the. Maybe would you like to respond to that question? Yes, I would love to, because that is so important. Democracy is also about having an open, fair possibility for each and everyone to be elected. And that means even women. We need more women in politics in that sense. And, and sometimes I wonder why men doesn't want women in politics. I think they're afraid. <laughs> because, uh, because you're afraid of what you don't know, really. And I maybe sometimes I will be very harsh now. So take it. It's a bit humor, but I'm very serious on this. Are men afraid of the competition? I'm not going to take that as a personal question. Thank you. So we've gone down with our new constitution to the villages. What we have found is, because of the culture and the cultural norms, when we do public participation with women together with men, the women won't speak. They just won't speak. This is no offense against the men. This is the culture. Uh, you're not going to say something uh, contrary to what your uncle is saying or your older brother is saying because that is not your role now. What do we see here? Here we see cultural norms, very important, it's, a, it's part of the context. You can have a functioning uh, sort of form of a constitution that is never implemented in law because it clashes with the informal norms of society. The informal norms of society will always trump in a larger sense, institutional regulations, etc. You'll, you'll put, I give an example, I'm talking at length, but I think this is very important. 
in the early days of independence in South America, for those of you who know more about it who are from South America, South American republics gaining status of republic looked at the American constitution, oh, let's adapt that, then things will work. No, you may have the form, but you don't incorporate it and conceptualize the actual institutions of that constitution to your own culture. The answer to public participation, to hear the voices of women, is to actually have public participation by women for women. Then they will speak. It's the only way to do it at the moment because of the culture in some of the counties in Kenya. Thank you very much. I'm going to take one final question and it's up to you to close the session. Uh, I think one of the things is to do with the leaders never accepting defeat. Number two, at the end of the day, are they representing themselves? Are they representing the women? Yeah, I see a lot of these questions converging uh, on each other related to the participation of women. But no society will be able to evolve the way we're thinking that it should evolve if people do not have the right to form their own independent organizations and associations, uh, call them meeting associations if you want, the mega governments won't solve all the problems, much less respect necessarily all of the cultures that are in the society. So the social institutions are key. Let me give you some facts and figures why we need to face them. I would say in one minute, if I have one minute now to speak, we will see 25 new refugees in the world. 60% of them are women and children. 23 girls will be forced into marriage during this minute in the world. One girl or woman will die due to she's pregnant or giving birth. And six girls in, during this minute will do, be victim of FGM. So in that sense, we need a new world. We need a new order. We need a world and leaders who address those. And we cannot address those problems or tragedies without women at the decision-making table. Mr. Speaker, I think the issue of, uh, as I wind up, the issue of women, um, we have tried, but the, the reality is sometimes the landscape, the political landscape in most African countries has been very hostile to women campaigning. Uh, uh, one of the participants talked about violence. For example, can women resist the violence that we witness? Because, okay, we'll deal with the violence, eventually we don't require violence in elections, but again, it becomes very, very difficult for women to get a, an equal landscape to, 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 to campaign. And that's why even as a country we have had what we call affirmative action, to have the 47 women come. Uh, the last Senate in, in Kenya did not have any elected woman. As we speak now, we have three elected women and we are encouraging more women to go. Until we get to a point where the landscape is, uh, is, is, is also favorable, I think we'll still need affirmative action, just like you said, to have women on the table so that they can also represent their own interests instead of men pretending to represent their interests. Just like you say, it's the wearer of the shoe who knows where it pinches. So we want to give them an opportunity to talk about certain things that men cannot talk about confidently. So I think uh, we are making progress. And even when you look, I think it's in the Constitution that 30% of all appointees should be women. That's also part of the affirmative action. So that whether that is happening or not is a story for another day. But uh, we, we, we need, we must ensure that in all our institutions, even at the universities, talk more. How many women do we have at the decision-making? And you know, one of the fallacies that... 51%. Are, 51%. And one of the fallacies that I've seen, I'm a Christian, uh, whenever we've been, going, we've been going for functions, people say, let's have one woman to pray for us. 
So what is happening to the what is happening to the to the men? We are promoting women to go to heaven and you are going to remain here. So sometimes let one woman pray for us, let one woman do this. I think we, women also need to take their rightful positions uh, uh, because we go to school with women, they beat us in, in class, but when it comes to certain positions then we find that we want to pretend to be better than them. So I think we need to have our women also, that's what I'm saying, take their respective place and contribute to the development of the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Please check for other podcast episodes and video talks on our website, talbergfoundation.org. And follow us on social media to stay tuned for upcoming events.